I love project management for a number of reasons, right? One, it's just been a big part of my life for a long time. But the what you can accomplish through a team is much greater, exponentially greater than what you can accomplish as an individual. And I think, you know, we talked about young people earlier. What they want is to do something meaningful, right? And they can do something meaningful on their own. But if they if they get together with a group of people, they can do something exponentially more meaningful going forward, whether they're leading or, or just participating in the process. Together, we're stronger. Hello, and welcome to Design Adjacent, the podcast that talks about the nexus of design, both today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Vinny F. Johnson, and today our guest is Dave Garrett, volunteer leader, engineer, project management enthusiast. Dave Garrett started by volunteering in the project management organization, PMI prior to becoming employed by the organization. Through a career that spans startups and growth positions, he currently serves as the Chief Strategy and Growth Officer of PMI. He works guiding strategy across the organization to define, test, and deliver solutions that enable individuals and organizations to have impact and propel change around the globe. Dave's been a leader in the development of project management methodologies and the support of the Project Management Institute, and was the CEO of projectmanagement.com, originally gathead.com. So today, I'd like to welcome to our podcast, Dave Garrett. Thanks, Benny. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, it, it's incredible to have you. I, I think about looking at your bio and realizing you started off as a volunteer leader. I did working with project management. And let's take me back to those days because project management has really come into its own over the past two decades. But there was a time when no one knew what project management was as a profession. No, no, it really, really has. It's a, it seems like everything's a project these days. If you think about right. the gig economy, if you think about uh, all that's happening in the world, all the consulting that's happening, uh, the fact that people are managing their own careers in a way that is sort of project to project, um, this, you know, project management world has really grown, expanded, and I think become more relevant over time. It really has. I mean, when we started thinking about our podcast in this space of design adjacent, one of the things I noticed almost immediately in coming into my role here at AIGA is the large number of designers who carry the PMP certification, who carry kind of a commitment to project management in their skill set and a part of their toolkit. What do you see as, as kind of the overlap between design management and project management that you've seen in your time? You know, it's interesting. I think I could look at it from two angles. I could look at it from the angle of the, you know, what can a designer draw from the project management world? And I can look at it from the angle of what can a project manager draw from the design world? And I'd, I'd start with actually the, the latter. The design world is all about vision. It's all about articulating that vision with passion and and driving towards a unified goal. And I think that's something that, uh, that project managers can learn a lot from. Design is inherently intricate, abstract. It's thought-provoking. And that's what you want your project to be. If you're, if you're a project manager, you want to get people to follow you. You have to be able to articulate a vision like that, a really strong vision in a project management context. And people will follow. People will have, be much more likely to own the result that you're all driving towards if you do that. It's interesting. I, I have an example of that, actually. The guy who, who designed the Tesla Model S, his name was uh, Franz von Holzhausen. Sorry, I always stumble over that. Holzhausen. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was given a set of design parameters, as all designers are. You know, he said, 
they, they said, you know, we want a mid-sized sedan that seats six people and their luggage comfortably in a design that's functional and engaging. So pretty simple, high-level set of parameters. And what he did was he came up with a couple of principles that really articulated where he was headed with that design. The Model S, he said, must be efficient. It must draw attention without demanding attention, which I think is kind of a cool like balance, you know, draw attention without, you know, without demanding it. And then the Model S was also to be technology centric, all about the technology. So when you look at this thing, when you operate this thing, it has to be all about the technology. That's the message we want to send as the design team for the Model S. When you look at the visual design of the interior and exterior, it all aligns with principle number one. He got all the people involved in designing that Model S to design things in a way that draws attention without demanding it. You think about the front end, there's no grill, right? That sort of quietly says, this is an electric car. You know, you think about um, the frunk, you know, that's uh, really, really cool, but it's kind of hidden. You know, it's kind of subtle. It's not, it's not a something that screams, you know, you must pay attention to me, but it's something that really invites attention. You know, it's, it's really interesting that we think of the work starting with a project, but when I think about designer's approach and what we see in our world today, we really take a step back and there's a more macro starting point of a problem. And then understanding, as you mentioned before, that, that synergy between project management and design management and thinking, what are we trying to do and solve? The problem statement drives then the project. Yeah, absolutely. We've been thinking a lot about design thinking in the context of project management. You know, it's interesting, 20 years ago, you would be handed a project that was really well-formed, you know, something that sort of everybody knew exactly what you're driving towards and really the way to get there, you know, the steps were pretty clear from getting to A to B. These days, there's so much ambiguity in the world. There's so much ambiguity with everything we're doing, especially with technology and, and all of that. And you're really handed a problem more than you are you're handed a, a project. So how do you deal with that? And that's that's where design thinking comes in. And uh, we, we think about it as um, a way to uh, work with a team. So you co-design the problem. You, you really understand the problem in a way that you didn't before. You sort of say, Maybe it's not X, it's Y. And you go through, uh, there are a series of techniques to get you there. And if you as the team sort of redefine the problem in a way that makes the most sense to the team, the team has more ownership over it. And then you co-develop the solution together using design techniques, design thinking techniques, and you co-own the solution in a much stronger way than you would have before. So you combine that with a, a strong project vision and you've got a real great formula for everybody getting behind the same concept, everyone driving towards the same goals, shared accountability, shared ownership of that result. And that's really important. So design thinking is a huge part of, of project management today. And I imagine design as well. It really is. I mean, it's we talk about kind of this nexus and how you take these two disciplines and kind of the best of it blends together, provides that, that long-term impact, both inside the organization and the broader space you're going to have. Because you're right, the days of having really, um, really well-executed solutions that don't align with any problems are over. Within the context of design thinking, you know, we think about what are the right questions to ask to solve that problem or to define that problem. There's techniques like the five whys technique that, that we often use there. And then we talk about visualizing and organizing information effectively. You know, when you make things visible, whether you're talking about some sort of sticky note technique or whiteboarding technique uh, to collaborate, whether that's online or in person, and we're leaning much more into online these days, 
is being able to see that information organized in a way that you can understand it and in a way that you can remember it is super, super important. And it gives you like a forum to collaborate around. And then it's all about getting the necessary people engaged and ready to act. You know, the people with the right skills, that, that sort of diverse group of people that's going to come at the problem from different angles and together come up with the right solution. What's really telling is, as you talk about it in the diverse set of people in there, 20 years ago, a lot of the projects were talked about within single disciplines or single industries mm -hmm. as a problem. They were all the same IT coders working on a problem, all the same construction engineers working on a problem. Yeah. But today yeah. we look at it and the best, the most successful project management teams and design led teams bring in a really diverse set of skill sets. Mm -hmm. For a project we mentioned before, you'll have industrial engineers with graphic designers, with coders, with business leaders, with economists. You're exactly right. And I think it's, it gets to be much more cross-functional these days. You know, you right. think about the way that businesses are organized, you end up with people from all different business functions that gives them a different perspective. You often even end up with customers in the equation, you know, customers in the collaborative process in a way that they never have been before because everything is so customer centric right now. A lot of these um, design thinking exercises are show and tell techniques. You know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And the person you want to know is the opinion of the most is your customer. Because you want to know what they're thinking, what, what is, what's attractive to them. When you think back over the last 10, 20 years of kind of project management growth and methodology, what are some of the things that you, that you call out where the methodology has changed over time? Well, I'd say, you know, again, like 20 years ago, we were looking at pretty strictly a, a very traditional way of managing projects, a predictive way of managing projects where you do all of your planning sort of upfront, then you execute. Um, and that still works really well for, say, designing a building or a bridge or um, a lot of things where the path forward is well-worn, you know, where it's where you're, you know, what you need to do is, is well understood. But when you deal with more ambiguity, when you deal with things like, uh, you know, IT projects, software projects, changing customer requirements, changing environments. There's a lot of ambiguity there. You need to take a more agile approach. And we've really leaned into that as, as the Project Management Institute these days. There's a lot of iteration involved there. You do a little bit, you learn. You do a little bit, you learn. There's a lot of failing fast in a small way, so you don't fail in a big way downstream. And there's a lot of sort of uh, learning that goes on from those, from those little failures that you, you're able to disseminate to others and make sure that others don't make the same mistakes you do. So you're not sort of starting from scratch every time. You're you're building on the experience, the cumulative experience of your team, of your organization. It's so interesting. We talk about kind of the adjacent space that you could substitute design for each of those spaces in which you mentioned project management. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, how do we iterate? How do we make kind of small bets and risk and understand and, and kind of learn from those spaces that go into it? When we think about this, when we think about career journey, it's interesting that now people can set up careers to say, I'm a project manager, I'm a program manager, I'm an insert design program manager. But we were just talking earlier on how, you know, it took some time for that even to be a recognized career path or chatting mm -hmm. with OPM and the government and mentioning. Talk a little bit about how PMI is work to kind of expand the notion of what it means to be a project manager. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, many years ago, again, I'll go back 20, 30 years ago, and PMI has been around for 52, um, project management was considered more of a skill. 
uh, right. rather than a profession. And um, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a skill set that many, many people need. You know, we estimate probably 90 million people in, across the world need the skill of project management. And, uh, and we, we end up calling those people change makers, the broader audience of change makers out there, people who need to drive change in a positive way. They may, some large portion of them may become professional project managers at some point. That's a great way of thinking about it, right? But they're empowered through the skill set yes. to yes. be able to deliver change. Absolutely. Right? And then they may become, you know, professional project managers, PMPs at some point downstream uh, when that's appropriate for them. And once they do, the interesting thing around being uh, a project manager, professional project manager is the transferability of those skills. Think about like the ways that you can move from industry to industry or function to function. It offers a lot of flexibility. And in today's world where we're living in a gig economy, that's a huge advantage to have that, you know, that toolkit uh, as part of who you are and have that label of professional project manager be a part of who you are as well. When you think about project management's growth, it isn't something that's just been isolated to the U.S. We're really talking about a truly global phenomenon in terms of the growth of the profession. No, it's absolutely global. It's absolutely global. In China, we are absolutely exploding, you know, in terms of certifications. Just as one example, you, know, you think about the Belt and Road Initiative, all the right. construction that's happening over there. And, you know, not to mention the construction that's happening here, you know, with the infrastructure bills and that sort of thing. And, and just globally, everything that's going on, project managers are in demand more than ever before. You know, if you look at the top 10 lists of in-demand careers, project management is always, always on there. So well, we're definitely growing. When you think about kind of the growth of the profession and the project manager of, of 2022, what advice do you have or what, what vision do you have for the project manager of 2030? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You know, we have uh, focused a lot on technical skills over the years. You know, how do you manage stakeholders? How do you plan? How do you, you know, execute in various ways? Well, now we're leaning more into um, what we call power skills, you know, which are soft skills, things like collaborative leadership, empathy, collaborative leadership. I was talking a little bit about during our design thinking discussion. How do you get a team to drive forward together in a collaborative way? And then Empathy is so very important these days when the thing about being remote is you need to connect with people. You still need to connect in a strong way. How do you do that? You need to have empathy for them as a human being. You can't just treat them as like another sort of gear in the box, you know? So empathy is critical in terms of a soft skill or power skill. And then on the other side of what we call our, our talent triangle, so there's the sort of the technical skills or the ways of working, then there's power skills, and then there's business acumen. You think about decisions being pushed down in organizations these days, you don't have decisions all being made at the top anymore. You have them being pushed down to an appropriate level. The people who those decisions are getting pushed down to need to understand the impact of their decisions on the people upstream and downstream from them, the impact of their decisions on the strategy, the impact of their decisions on the project. They need to have a more holistic view of the world and the business itself. So they need to have the acumen to be able to do that. All those things are really important. And then just as a layer on top of all of it, digital fluency is something that we consider very, very important. Understanding the technology and how it can help you drive forward on these projects or how it can be woven into what it is that you're doing in a way that makes you more effective, makes the project more effective, makes your team more effective, makes you more successful in driving towards that outcome. It's interesting that you built it on the triangle. When we were doing 
our recent design POV research. And we were looking, we asked the, a basic question of what it means to be a designer today. And we came up similar kind of three points. We came up with skill set, mm -hmm. the tools and things that you have, a mindset, which is being open to the divine speaking space, and then an impact set. Wow. And kind of how, how you drive spaces is what it means to be a contemporary designer today. That's really cool. What, what's the impact set? What, what the impact set is, we have conversations that sometimes that our friends, and we are definitely our friends that are engineers, engineers often look to solve problems for the sake of solving problems. Designers look to solve problems that have human impact, uh, that have uh, human need at heart. So it's not just solving the problems, it's solving the problem to make a human experience better. So it can be something as small as the way we interact with our screen to something as large as the way we interact with the world. But looking for how can I take this expertise, how can I take the rigor and the skills that I have with the creativity and apply it to something that matters, right? As we said, we can solve it, we can solve anything, but not everything is, is the focus that's gonna have the impact. You know, that that's a beautiful thing. And in the project management world, we talk about the difference between outputs and outcomes. Right. You know? So an output is like, uh, what are the tangible thing that you're producing? You might be, if you're a consultant, producing some sort of deliverable. But what is that deliverable? What is the impact of that deliverable going to be? That's the impact. That's the outcome that you're, you're aiming for. And you try to get teams to drive towards outcomes rather than outputs. So similar concept. So when we think about, you know, kind of the future, what are your thoughts on what this next generation of work is going to need and look like? You know, I, I know that all bets are off after the last 24 months kind of thrown in the air, but what are you seeing from the PMI perspective and in your kind of global view of the world? What is the future of our work experience looking like? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be more remote no matter what, you know, right. whether, whether it's more hybrid or just more purely remote. Uh, is a question, but you know, you're seeing a lot of employees. I'm seeing a lot of them. You know, a lot of the companies say their employees are almost demanding to continue to work remote, often exclusively remote. And in my mind, there's two really key factors when, when you need to think about when working remotely. I mean, there's all these sort of, there's a lot of advice out there around like, you know, do this, do that, you know, just sort of point advice around techniques you can use. Right. So to me, um, if you think about visibility and connectedness, there's a lot in that, you know, in terms, in terms of just being able to think through any problem that you're facing in a bespoke way. So visibility of the work, right. visibility of the person, and then uh, connectedness to the work, connectedness to the people around you. Those are the ways that I think about remote work because it's harder to be visible when you're working remotely and it's harder to be connected. And the visibility of the work bit, we talk a lot about that in, in project management, particularly agile project management, making the work visible, you know, whether it's the kind of design thinking stuff that we were talking about earlier, right. or it's a Kanban board, a backlog of the work. This is all the stuff we need to do and who's going to do it, you know, making sure everybody has a common view of that. So you're not constantly creating reporting and, and, you know, having unnecessary Zoom meetings that everybody's bored at, you know, you just right. sort of have common reference points and making the work visible. And that's important. The connectedness piece is really interesting. We've been working with this Harvard professor. His name's James Kane. Okay. And he talks about like what it means to be connected, right? And he's got three factors when he thinks of connectedness. He thinks, I'm thinking about how connected I am to you, Benny. You know, I think, do you make my life easier? 
Mm -hmm. Do you make my life better? Right. Or do you make my life safer? Right. Okay. Right. And so we get caught up in like techniques around, say, um, you know, uh, psychological safety is, is a hot topic these days, you know, across right. the board, you know, everybody's psychological safety. That maps right back to, do I make you feel safer? Right. You know, as, as an employee or as, as a coworker. Um, you think about, you know, better, you think about easier. Those, those are, those are really interesting lenses to look at your relationships through. You know, am I, am I doing that for you? Or are you doing that for me? That's going to increase or decrease our level of connectedness. So, so, um, and then you think about the same thing with the work, right? Right. Do I feel safe doing this work? Do I feel safe enough to, to take the chances that I need to take with the team? Do I you feel safe enough to really, to get, so, so that the team can get the most out of me, you know, what I can contribute? Do I feel that level of safety? Um, you know, and, and is, is this easier, easier meaning? Right. Do, I, do I feel like I'm not on a bunch of wasted time, sort of Zoom meetings, that kind of thing? Is it easier for me to make an impact? You know, that kind of thing. And then the better part is really interesting too, is what we're doing in alignment with my career goals. You know, when we're successful, am I successful personally? Am I building towards something I can put on my resume? Am I aligned in that way? So that all of my discretionary I'm motivated to commit my discretionary time to this thing because I know it's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. And we're all driving towards something that's, that's a win-win for everybody involved. So I think, again, when you think about remote work, visibility and connectedness are huge. And the two lenses you can use to think through just about any problem you have with, with remote work. It's, it's really interesting to think about it in there, you know? Yeah. And this act of safety, I think it, it actually extends into conversations about trust architectures yeah. as well, even taking us back to kind of Stephen Covey conversations about trust yeah, being the relationship right. connection and then the credibility or confidence that you can deliver on the promise yeah, in the space that goes you. into it as well. You know, what I think and I'm seeing in, and I'm sure there's early data to start to look at this, I wonder about the future of work as we work through cycles, right? Yeah. So we're all addressing how we work based on having a long experience of working in a physical concrete way. Yeah. And so we are all in our first kind of cycle or two for most people of being remote. Now, you know, we've talked about having remote teams around the globe. And if you've worked in global space, that was a natural part of your world. Right. But so many people didn't have that experience. Mm -hmm. So now we move to a space where we're going to have a new generation that comes in. I, we started seeing people wanting to get back in person especially with design and collaboration of innovation things, so much of it had uh, in-person human connectedness. We're starting to get bubbles of, I'd like to get a team back. I gave an example. We just did a fully hybrid conference in which we didn't prejudice either side, in-person mm -hmm. or, or remote. We were streaming and going in. And we had almost equal participation. And there were all the right reasons why people love the streaming version. And then there were all the right reasons why people wanted to gather together. And we found these fun spots that were in between where, you know, by doing this remote yeah. streaming, we had folks who could attend in person. And we've all been there on conferences where you have to go take another meeting in between and you have to leave the conference. But with our streaming setup, uh, I had several people come to me and go, I was able to keep pace with the conference while I did my other work. That's and great. then jump back in. And it was, you know, we took a breath and said, wow, we've created these three spaces of, of experience. And I, from that point, I can't see going back to 
a space that doesn't have each of those moments. But I just wonder, you know, what do we look like five years from now if there's a desire of folks to actually have more time together? And what does that physically, what does that look like for us? Yeah, yeah. And hopefully there's environments that allow us to do the right thing, right. The, you know, work the right way, work the way that's most effective, most enjoyable, you know, because I think sometimes, sometimes that's the driver, you know, I think, right. you know, you know we, we all said, you know, maybe we're all going to, you know, we had this assumption, we're all going to come back to the office at some point. And then people started telling us, uh, no, you know what, I want to go out to restaurants with my friends, but I don't necessarily want to go back to the office. Right, you know? right, right. Um, and, and I think people that were really, are really excited about what they're doing and they have the space to do it in their lives, maybe want to get back together, like with your conference, right? Maybe that, that half the people that came, they came because they were going to have a fun time with people that they like. Right. You know, and maybe, maybe some of the people that didn't, maybe just didn't have that personal space, you know, to, to, to make in their lives. And they had to, it's a lot easier just to tune in remotely as I can. You know, or, or maybe alongside other work, like you were saying, you know, I could be composing an email while I'm listening to, you know, Gems of Wisdom from Benny Johnson. And, uh, you know, and that's great, right? Because they're still getting something out of the conference and still participating in their own way. We've seen several of the leading design organizations use this time to radically rethink their centers of excellence mm-hmm. with design spaces, but, you know, they, they're still triggered on people coming in. And I, I'm just excited to see how that unfolds for those organizations who are kind of taking a lead or taking that small bet to maybe it's not every day, but we have a reason to to bring people together and then have them go for that moment and do things in other locations and come back. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. When we were designing our Wicked Problem Solving Toolkit, which is our design thinking toolkit, we actually pivoted. We have uh, physical like cards you would use in person to help people with their techniques but then we pivoted to Miro boards. There's Miro and there's Miro. Yes, yeah. you know, this is sort of my versions of whiteboards. And, you know, um, and we've got, we developed templates in those uh, to allow people to, to do the same exercises virtually. And early on in the, in the, uh, in the COVID crisis, um, there was, there was a lot of sort of hesitancy there and people did, really didn't understand how to use the, you know, Miro board appropriately and that sort of thing. And over time, it's become far more popular than the physical medium um, as well. So, so I think I think people have learned how to collaborate online. They've learned how to design, if you will, online in in ways that they they wouldn't have been able to a couple of years ago. We're in that cycle, like you were saying, you know, deep enough into the cycle to be a little more mature around um, remote work. You know, so people are getting used to that kind of thing. And and uh, we've seen some platforms. Um, we're using some platforms in, in Latin America, a couple of them, the names escape me at the moment, where it's an online conferencing platform and you and I and three other people might be sitting at a table watching the programming, you know, participating in the programming as we were, but we're able to talk right. to each other within our, our little group versus everybody being broadcast to and broadcast back. So there's, there's different models leveraging the technology now that you can apply. And again, I think it's all about, you know, finding the right model for the situation, for you, for the people involved, uh, so everybody can work effectively. I think it's a really great way to think about it and kind of continually iterating the way, the way we work and those, those kind of investments and trade-offs that we make, right? Just because the other piece is what may work for me today, I may need something different tomorrow. Right. Right. Absolutely. Having that ability. We talk about this with resources at time that we will build resources in advance. You may not need it today as a designer or a project manager, 
but we're building it because we can see this arc that you're going on. You're probably going to need it tomorrow. Yeah. We've done that with a lot of our business start materials as well. We've seen that 80% of designers will eventually start their own business. So whether you're thinking about it today or not, you know, we have created resources so that when you do decide to start your business, we've already been thinking about it for you. That's very cool. And just diving into the entrepreneurial kind of stuff is good for your career no matter what. You know, it allows you to think in a more business-minded way and think about the way you develop products or design things or design products in a different way entirely. So good for everybody. I was going to ask you about that because you've always been been entrepreneurial. And so that's kind of a part of the secret superpowers, even when working in other organizations. You know, talk a little bit about, about you know, what that entrepreneurial stance has meant for you. Yeah, I think it's it's important to always have a growth mindset. You know, it's important to always say, you know, just kind of really focus on what is most meaningful for you, for the organization, something that matters. You know, we talk about building products that matter internal to PMI. The division that I'm, I lead is, is about strategy, it's strategic alliances, corporate development like M&A and that sort of thing, and innovation. So roughly all things new within PMI. So we think about it from a strategy perspective, you know, what are the gaps in our, our product portfolio? And we also think, you know, like you were saying, you look to the future and think, what is the future going to look like? What are project managers going to need in the future? And, and drive everything from that perspective. You know, what, what you're finding out from your audience uh, minute to minute in terms of what they need now, and then sort of anticipate what they might need in the future and test all those things repeatedly in a way that really helps you get to the right answer because your first answer is never the right one. You know, right. it's always about driving towards that uh, better and better answer, never getting to perfection, but trying to get a better one. And even if you have the perfect one, you know, at some point in time, it's not going to be the perfect one tomorrow, you know? so Right. That kind of that innovation, renovation and revolution all at once. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we often, you know, we have listeners who come in on our podcast and, a lot of students, a lot are mid-career, people who are changing and thinking about it. I often ask this question, you know, what career advice, what things would you recommend that people study or hold on to as they start to craft a, a profession that's in project management, design project management, or just managing in the future? Yeah. You know, I talked a little bit about our uh, talent triangle earlier. You know, I talked about those different angles as sort of understanding ways of working, as understanding power skills or acquiring power skills so that you can influence people. And then there's the business acumen side of things. The power skills bit, the village, whatever, whatever, you know, cliche you want to apply there. A lot of these things are very true. You know, you can drive things forward better, better with the team. So I would understand how to work with people, how to lead. And I would be a student of people at the same time. You know, you could be a student of your discipline, but I think really understanding people as human beings understanding what drives them, understanding how you can align with them in effective ways is hugely important and undervalued. You know, I think it's it's sort of the the glue that, that brings us all together and makes us work together more effectively is understanding each other better. So I would understand your discipline. I would understand how to work with people and I'd understand people themselves. That would be my advice anyway, for what it's worth. <laughs> well, Dave, I can't think of a better way to close our conversation. That was powerful and poetic and right on point that the future and growth and career is all about you and people and your relationships in there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Benny. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I thank you for being a part of it and just 
you know, your presence and your leadership in thinking about how we use our disciplines to change the world around us. So today I'd like to thank Dave Garrett, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer of the Project Management Institute and giving us his career path from volunteer leader within the organization to Chief Strategy Officer to helping to build a more dynamic and impactful and effective world around us. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. We invite you to join us next time. We will continue to look at the world around us and how a design impacts today and tomorrow. Thank you. Show notes for this episode will be available on AIGA.org. Please subscribe to our show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. AIGA's Design Adjacent Podcasts and its contents are the copyright of AIGA, the Professional Association for Design. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited without AIGA's express written permission. My name is Li Shan Huang. Until next time.